0: Thanks for tuning in to the Sojourn Church Podcast. We are a church committed to the gospel in the context of family, living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. For more information, visit our website, sojournpdx.org. Today we're continuing our series Sojourners in the book of 1 Peter. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 18 through 25. Many of us have bought into this idea that we live a a good, righteous life, attend church regularly, read the Bible sometimes, occasionally help out people, and and maybe give some money that we will not suffer. The mentality in our modern mind is that to live a good life of righteousness, that that and suffering are incompatible, right? So that we, we just want to live good, comfortable lives. And if I asked you that question this morning, I think everyone would probably raise their hands. Well, let me tell you the story of about a, a Korean pastor by the name of Yang Won-sun, who said this statement, I thank God that he has given me the love to seek to convert and to adopt as my son the enemy who killed my dear boys. The year was 1948, and the communist had taken control of his town briefly And during this time, the pastor's two oldest sons, by the name of Matthew and John, were executed. They they died as martyrs. And as they were dying, they called on their persecutors to have faith in Jesus. Now, the communists were shortly driven out after that, thankfully. And Chai's son, a young man of the village, he was identified as the one who had pulled the trigger. And so even though the communists had fled away, people said, this is the guy who actually pulled the trigger killing your two sons. His execution was ordered. But Pastor Son showed up, and he requested that this young man be, that the charges against him be dropped, and that he could actually take him into custody and adopt him. The court eventually agreed to release the young man, actually, it was after the request of his, uh, the pastor's 13-year-old daughter, who had watched her brothers be killed, said, we want him to become part of our family. And the court eventually agreed, and the pastor and his family adopted this man who had killed their two sons. Then this guy became his son, and eventually he became a believer in the grace of Jesus Christ. Now, we hear that, and it's really hard for us to wrap our minds around it. Especially if you have children. You think that something horrendous like that would happen to my kids that I can never forgive that individual. That is the natural reaction. But part of that, I believe, is because most of us don't have a category, I'd say a theological category, to get our minds around this idea of righteous (coughs) suffering. And we have no idea how to endure it ourselves. As Westerners we often find ourselves focused on living an easy life and a pain-free life, right? We'll, we'll, we'll take shortcuts, we'll skip corners, and I think our modern life has made that even easier, right? Where, where life is this very, you just make it comfortable, just to, to do enough to get by, have an easy and pain-free life, and we don't understand that righteousness can and does lead to suffering, And so the more of the former we have, the more of the latter that we will actually face. Now we have to remember, Peter's addressing this to Christians. And he's letting them know to live this righteous life, even though it's going to be uncomfortable, as exiles, as sojourners, and that as a result you actually will endure suffering. And so this is what Peter's going to address for us today. We'll see that only when we embrace a theology of suffering that's rooted in the gospel will we be able to prepare ourselves to endure suffering when it comes and so to put it kind of bluntly i think for most of us our experience in in the west is that even as christians we want to figure out how to live a pain-free easy comfortable life we kind of attach jesus and the church to it and go man i want to live that life as best as possible and then die and go to heaven but that's not actually what we see instructed here to these first century Christians. And I don't believe that that will be our reality in our life. And so here's my, my four points. I'm going to give them to you on the front end if you're taking notes, and then we'll, we'll break these down. The first point is going to be remember the reality of unjust suffering. Second, we will look at remember the manner of unjust suffering. Third, we will remember the reward of unjust suffering. And then my fourth and final point today which will be kind of where we put our biggest emphasis, is remember the example of Jesus. And so point number one, remember the reality of unjust suffering. Verses 18 and 19, 1 Peter 2 says this. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When, mindful of God, One endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. Now, the last couple of weeks, if I'm transparent, it's been a little uncomfortable to preach through some of these verses and to even study some of these verses. But as I've told you, we go verse by verse. It forces us to go through challenging and hard topics. And so there's no way getting around it that servants here is referring to household slaves. But be reminded, Peter is writing to a first century context, not a 21st century one. And so although they were still considered slaves, they were still ruled by masters, sometimes just and sometimes it says unjust, it is not the same as our historical American context when we think of slavery, where slaves were mistreated, abused, killed, and I I think all of us in the room, because I know most of you well enough, would say that was entirely wrong, completely sinful, especially the part that the church played in that. So I want us to keep that in mind. But during the first century Roman Empire, once again, it was slavery, but it was also different. They were often well-educated, some served as physicians, some served as teachers, and sometimes, although it was challenging from my study, they would sometimes get the occasion to buy their freedom. And So it it, it was different. New Testament scholar Tom Schreiner, he kind of helped give a a word about the slaves that submit to their masters here. I thought it was important to, to put a note on this. He says, first, today we ask why New Testament writers did not criticize the institution of slavery or advocate for it to be overthrown. Well, the latter was completely unrealistic when you know and understand the context for a fledging New Testament church in the Roman Empire. These were young churches who would be fighting against the consensus of the Greco-Roman world and any attempt to would have been futile. In other words, it would not have worked. Second, you might say, why was there no uh, criticism of the practice Again, we must remember, the New Testament is addressing the documents or, or the time in which the situation in which they lived in. In other words, we're kind of just looking at the history here. And so even Peter, that's what he's reflecting on in this moment. He's not saying whether it's right or wrong or whether it should have happened or shouldn't have happened. He's saying this is the historical context of that time. Third, the New Testament writers were not social revolutionaries. They did not believe in overhauling social structures that would transform culture. Their, their response and their main concern was people's relationships to God, individuals' relationships to God, based on individual sin and rebellion being restored. And so while today we think of it in our modern minds and we think, man, we could go out and protest this and we could go out and advocate for this and we could go out and make hashtags and signs and do these things, that was not how they operated this time and place. And so that's why I always want to keep the original audience and context in mind. In the New Testament... And authors, and Peter, focuses on the readers to respond in a godly way to persecution and oppression. So that's kind of Peter's point here. He's mentioning the context to say, hey, servants, it is a reality, but now let me address you in your reality in which you found yourself. And so while the exhortation this morning, you might hear that and go, well, I can check out because as far as I know, I'm not a servant in the sense of that time. Well, you would be correct. But I believe that servants, especially when we build it upon last week come out our relationship with the government, it serves as a function for all Christians because in some way we all have to submit to somebody. And so as we go through, specifically, unjust suffering. And just as we were, we were uh, exhorted, or instructed rather, to submit to the government last week as servants, we are commanded to submit to their master's. And so all of us are servants in some form or another. It might be a, a boss over you, right? I don't know anyone who is completely at the top of their, their industry and work. So we all have a boss, someone that we submit to. If you're if you're a child, specifically under eighteen, you have a, a parent that you submit to. Um, if you're a husband, you have a spouse you submit to. That's I'm, I'm supposed to be a laugh there, okay? I know I get. i was supposed to be mutual submission, okay? That's a different. That's in like two weeks, okay? It, Peter addresses his husbands and wives as well. And so we can apply this passage and this message in that way. And so first, remember the reality of unjust suffering. Peter's saying this is the reality in which you have found yourself. Which brings me to our second point this morning. <laughs> remember the manner of unjust suffering. Go ahead and switch to the next slide. I'm going to reread verses 18 and 19. It says, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, When mindful of God, one endures sorrow by suffering unjustly. So Peter calls servants to submit to unjust masters. But not only that, he says do so respectfully. Why should believers submit in a respectful manner? Peter says it's commendable. He uses this phrase it's a gracious thing. What does he mean by that? That patient, enduring suffering is evidence of God's grace at work. In other words, it's a way that you, as a believer, once again, he's addressing Christians, it's a way that you show God's grace to others in your form of submission. And he says whether it's just or unjust. Now, that's a really challenging thing to actually follow through and do, but it's in, in this confidence that God, and we see this in Scripture, and here's what we can rest on even this week with anything you've watched in the news, that God will ultimately right all wrongs. That's part of what God is doing. He's continually reconciling things back to himself. And one day all wrongs will be made right. That's part of the good news that we can stand on. When we see tragedy in the news, going one day, it may not be today, but one day God will right all wrongs, which enables Christians... To follow through on this idea of submission. He says, even when treated unjustly, and do so without resentment, without being rebellious, without despair. So, what is Peter's main point he's trying to communicate in these opening verses? He's saying, those who endure unjust suffering, specifically because of their relationship with God, will be reward- rewarded by God. Now, what reward did he have in mind? Well, he's likely referring back to chapter one, verses three through five, which says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. That sounds like a great inheritance. I'm just gonna stop right there. It's imperishable, it's undefiled, it's unfading. And it's kept in heaven for you. It of your treasure here on earth. It all fades. Right? You get that shiny new phone. Right? I've got the iPhone 12. It's nice. It's great. It's actually streaming for us right now. But they've already come out with a 13 in like a few months. They're going to come out with a 14. Right? It's getting old. You've got that car. It's, it's nice. And you can get it detailed all you want. But it's going it's to eventually start fading away. Right? The upholstery is going to get a coffee stand. It's going to rip. But this inheritance we're referring to, it's imperishable. It's undefiled. It's unfading. And it's kept in heaven for you. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be real in the last time. And so we remember the reality of unjust suffering. It is going to take place. We remember the the manner of unjust suffering, that these are the places where you're going to find yourself in life. Which brings us to point number three. Remember the reward of unjust suffering. Let's pick up in verse 20. Peter says, For what credit is it, if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure it? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. So what Peter's doing here in verse 20, he's making explicit what he just told us in verse 19. Most, namely, that it's not just any kind of suffering, but it's endurance through suffering that God approves. It's endurance through what what I've titled here as unjust suffering. So let me just differentiate for us between just suffering and unjust suffering. Because I think oftentimes we're experiencing maybe just suffering, but we cry foul. We say, oh, it's because of this, it's because of this, you know, and, and we kind of puff ourselves up. Well, let's differentiate just so we're on the same page with Peter here. First is unjust suffering. This is a suffering that comes to you. Series, tell me what suffering is. This is the suffering that comes to us at no fault of our own. Okay, so if your consciousness of God is reflected in your work, which let me tell you, hopefully it is. Once we've talked about being the best citizens, the best employees, that if it's it's reflected in your work, and your effort, your timely manner, your professionalism, but your supervisor continually makes you the butt of jokes because of your, your faith. They discriminate against you. They credit others for your work. They pass over you for the promotion. And it's simply because of your faith that is unjust suffering. That is, that is suffering that is not warranted. Now, let's look at... Just suffering. Suffering you experienced because of something you did. All right? So we need to own it when we did it. All right? We, we, we all talk about this, right? So we need to, we need to kind of take the blame. Say, say I did it. I play basketball on Thursday nights, believe it or not. And uh, we, we call it gentleman's rules. So you have to call your own fouls. Well, I'm a really aggressive player because I'm not a very good player. I'm not a very good shooter. So I'm like, give me defense, you know? So I'm constantly just swatting at people. And it's like, I've got to call my own foul. i got to say, I, I own it. I did it. So we're looking at just suffering. Now, if you're a Christian and your supervisor's constantly getting on to you about your lack of work, your quality of work, you're always late to work, you have an unprofessional attitude when you show up, and you end up getting fired, well, that's on you. It's got nothing to do with your faith. You can cry, oh, it's because of this. No, that's on you. You were a bad employee. You should probably get your act together for the next job that you have. They were justified. They were warranted in firing you. And so when we experience just suffering, it's a result of a fault of our own. It's a result of our, often our sin, and as a result, we are instructed to stop, and the suffering will stop. So if you're experiencing just suffering, it's your fault. If it's sin, you need to repent of it, and that suffering will stop. But what he's referring to here, as believers in Christ, what he's talking about is unjust suffering. Suffering is no fault of your own, and Scripture tells us we are to respond to that form of suffering by the Spirit of God in an honorable way. So here's Peter's point in verse 20, that God rewards our faithfulness, and that God rewards our response to unjust suffering, not because the faithfulness merits it. It's not like God owes us because this is how we're responding, but in his grace, he delights to be generous to those who are mindful of him, to those who want to please him, to those who say, in spite of any type of of endurement I'll have to go through or suffering I have to go through, God is number one. And I'm going to continue to go on, regardless if I am made the of jokes, regardless if I'm getting passed over, regardless how these things are happening. And really it kind of builds on last week, right? Because in the U.S., in our country, we do have a free system. Where we're able to put elected officials. And so a lot of times we kind of lead through our, through our government and through politics. But he's saying even when, when these people get in this place of position, and you feel like, man, we're going to experience unjust suffering because of our Christian faith. And I'll be honest with you. I'm from a different area of the country, and I feel like you experience it here more than you do anywhere. Right? We're a city of equality until it comes to my Christian faith values and my convictions. But what Peter's telling us is we suffer unjustly. Matthew 5, 11 and 12, he says your reward is great in heaven. You might say, well, isn't there some inheritance or reward? Yes, but you may, you may very likely won't see it here. You're going to see it there. And so my finally, my final point, and I'll be finished, and you might be thinking, man, this is the shortest sermon match ever preached. This is my longest point, so stick with me here. And this is the most important point, is remember Jesus' example. Let's look at verses 21 through 25. It says, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving for you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin. So Peter begins this last section here by reminding believers that they have been called to suffer. Did you catch that? We, you, if you consider yourself a Christian, have been called to suffering. Now if I say sojourn, we have been called as the people of God to fellowship, to encouragement, to to experience grace. Who wants that? All the hands go up and say amen, right? And, and ben gets up and sings a song like, yes woo, <laughs> praise jesus like this is exciting but if i get to say soldier let me remind you you are called by god to suffer do you it know and all the hands go down right we're gonna take the short bus on this one people are like no crickets but what did Peter just tell us this is what we're called to think about calling I think we overuse the idea of calling oftentimes. We kind of use calling as our scapegoat or as our excuse sometimes. You know, we've, we've talked about this before. This is when the couple's dating, and they're in the youth group, and then uh, usually it's the girl who goes to the guy. It's like, oh, I feel I just feel like God's calling me to do something different. It's like, no, God probably didn't call you. This. You just don't like them anymore. Just break up with them.
1: <laughs> but there
0: is this calling in our life. Peter tells us here, and it's key to experience unjust suffering. When you go through hardships... If you've been called by God to whatever it is you're doing, you're going to be able to endure. I don't always try to use myself as an example, but as I was thinking about this week, I moved here to start and pastor a church. And that was because of a calling from God. Now, what some of you don't know, at one point in my life, and I was a Christian and I had felt a call to ministry, being a pastor was the last thing I wanted to do. I kind of had this list of things that I wanted to do, and it was like... Discipleship and missions and outreach and on and on and on, on. And like, pastor was one of the last things. And part of it was my impression of what I think it was a pastor, which now I understand. When I tell people I'm a pastor, they have that same impression. It was the last thing I wanted to do. Did you know if you asked my wife, who's sitting in the front row this morning, if she ever wanted to be a pastor's wife, that she would tell you, no? She would tell you, I wanted to be a missionary's wife. So we fulfilled that, and then I kind of put a twist on her. So why do we do it? A calling. Starting a church from scratch and pastoring a church through difficult circumstances, hello 2020, is a really, really, really difficult job and thing to do. In fact, I I sometimes think I'm doing it pretty poorly. And if you allow me to be completely transparent, there are days that I want to quit. There are days I'm ready to throw in the towel and give up. There have been days that I've almost quit. 2020 was one of those. (laughs) There have been years I've almost quit. 2020. But what has kept me from quitting? God. God. My calling. Mm -hmm. And so if the Lord calls you into something, man can never call you out of it. Circumstances can't call you out of it. And in some crazy way, that's what I had to keep returning to, even in the difficulties, that God is at work. When I'm asked by people, by our supporters on the East Coast, where I'm originally from, Are you ready to give up? Or do you want to keep going? Where are you you at? I said, God has not released us. And so there's this calling. And so whatever it is, wherever you find yourself in life, I know some of you might think, I don't know what I'm called to. Well, let's start with where you're at right now. What I mean by that is where you are working, where you live, the street you live on, the neighbors that you have. Because I think sometimes callings are temporary, short-term, and sometimes callings are long-term. I go, God, what have you called me to here? But the point is that you can return to this calling. And so the logical question you might be asking is, why? Why are we called to suffer that Jesus suffered for us? Why are we called to suffer unjustly? There's a couple, a few reasons here. First, Christ's example of suffering, which we have been called to imitate. Because Christ also suffered for you, leave it an example that you should follow in his footsteps. Second, our suffering will lead some unbelievers to see their need for repentance, the way that you respond. Once again, if people in your life know that you are a Christian, they should see a difference, not because of some religious order or rule that you're following, because of the Holy Spirit. you. I know we talked about this a little bit on Wednesday night. Do we have to open our mouth or do we not? It really doesn't matter. <laughs> I think at some point you should probably open your mouth because it's like saying, hey, Here's my, here's my phone number. Give me a call. Use digits if necessary. Well, you have to use digits to call someone, even on a smartphone. I mean, I guess you can say, hey, if you've got the contact. Somehow you've got to type it in there, right? But I think even in your actions, there should be a difference in the way that you live your life. You should be the best neighbor on your street, even if they overlook you as a neighbor because of your belief in Jesus. You should be the best neighbor, I mean, the best worker at your place of business, even if you hate your job. I can't tell you how many jobs I've hated. And then God put me in the job that I said I wanted to do least, the ministry. <laughs> that we should be the best worker, the best spouse, the best sister, brother, uncle, aunt. First Peter 2.12, last week, he said, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. He's using Gentiles there as, as, as those who are not in faith. So when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So once again, respond honorably even when you're suffering unjustly. Third, responding in a Christ-like way in the moment of suffering is radically countercultural. cultural Think about our city. We're a countercultural city. But when you respond, how you respond, the world will dish it out, but they're watching how you respond. Sometimes people intentionally know because they know you're a Christ follower. They're going to they're throw things to get under your skin a little bit. They're going to kind of poke that sore spot. They're going to take the headlines from the news and all the negative press that the church receives, and there's plenty of it out there. You don't have to go look very far. And they're going to go, see, you're no different. So how it is you respond in those moments will speak volumes. So let me be straightforward with you this morning. Now, I know some of these messages think, man, is Peter ever going to get back around to really encouraging us here We're talking about suffering this morning? So if I'm straightforward, I think it's only going to get harder to be a Christian in this nation. Now the reality is, and part of what we're celebrating this weekend, is we have the freedoms to worship. And if you've traveled globally, you know it's actually much harder for many of our brothers and sisters. There's a list of the top 25 persecuted countries in the world, and we're nowhere near that. But at the same time, I don't believe it's going to get any easier to be a Christian in this nation. I don't think it's going to be getting easier to be a Christian in our city. But what Peter is reminding us is that although it's going to probably get harder... This is what we've been called to. So on those days when you go, God, this is just too hard for me, turn to Jesus. Be reminded you were called to this. This is the reality that I told you would happen. Once again, we don't have a theology for righteous suffering in our, our nation. you go overseas, our brothers and sisters will teach you. Sometimes people criticize short-term mission trips. I get there can be harm done. But I think one of the number one reasons, especially if you go to unreached, unengaged areas and you go to areas that are persecuted, this is why. Because we will learn from our brothers and sisters how it is that we go through suffering, and it'll also help put things in perspective that our suffering right now really pales in comparison to anything that they endure. Romans eight twenty eight. He says, "We know that for those who have been who love God, all things work together for good." Do you hear that? For all those who love God, all things work together for good. We have to hold on to that, especially on those hard days. This for those who are called according to His purpose. I think it's challenging for us if you profess Christ, but you never suffer for your faith. Because the path and the way of following Jesus inevitably leads through the path of suffering, unjust suffering. Now, I'm not implying, so don't mishear me, I'm not implying that we go out and seek persecution. I'm not implying that we go get signs that say turn or burn and march down Alberta Street and like bring it on to ourselves. That's not what Peter's saying here. That's not what I'm saying. But if we're never inconvenienced because of our faith, if in our city you've never come into a, a meeting, a board meeting, a school meeting, a city meeting, and, and you realize, man, I'm kind of the outlier here, and there's my, my convictions are, are not in line with everybody else in there, if you never find yourself in that situation, we might need to reevaluate our faith, and whether or not our faith is one that's worth persecuting, because what it tells us is we will be persecuted. And so if your faith is so comfortable, if it's so easy, if it's pain-free, we might have to ask ourselves, do I actually have faith or do I have something else? Mm -hmm. Because if we follow the footsteps of Jesus, who is our example, we will suffer. And as we follow Jesus' steps, we need to learn to suffer the way in which he suffered, which is why Peter wants us to remember the example of Jesus. Jesus, who gave us the greatest example in all of history, Because if there's ever a human who experienced unjust suffering, who was it? Jesus, right? The Sunday school answer. Jesus on the cross. He didn't deserve to go to the cross. You did. You and I, all of mankind. But Jesus came. He's our example, and he experienced unjust suffering, went to the cross. Verse 22 says, for Jesus never sinned. And he never responded to unjust suffering through retaliating. But we're not so good at this. I'm horrible at this. You know, I like the eye for an eye. (laughs) You know, you cut me off in traffic, I'm going to honk my horn and, you know, do all these things and maybe give a hand gesture occasionally. (laughs) But if we're to follow Christ's example, there's no reason to think that we will escape our just suffering. I think many of us convince ourselves that the way we respond to this is by dishing it back, right? It's almost like, man, I want to fight you now. If like, you respond this way, I'm coming at you. And so in the end, we, we end up sinning. My wife's shaking her head because she's seen me do this. And the word of God points to, uh, to Jesus and calls us not to sin. It says Jesus, verse 23, he tells us he never reviled in return to those mocking him. Right? Jesus on the cross and they're mocking him. Have you ever been mocked and just stood there and, and taken it? It's not an easy thing to do. They spit on him. You ever been spit on him? It may have been a long time, but I'm going to throw something if you spit on me.
1: Yes.
0: Or I'm going, to, I'm going to make a bigger loogie and spit it back on you. <laughs> they placed a crown of thorns on his head and, and, and laughed about him being the king of the Jews, which he actually was the king of the Jews. Isaiah 53, 7 from the passage Andrea read when we opened this morning. He said, he was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that has led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that before its shear is silent, so he opened not his mouth. See, Jesus never defended himself. He didn't need to. He was mocked, and he never mocked back. What did Jesus do? He responded through love and forgiveness. Here's how we see Jesus respond, by praying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That song that Ben sang this morning, I'd be lost without you without christ we can't respond this way it's natural to respond the other way and that's that's that struggle with our with our, our flesh side our sin side right we want to and oftentimes we do but there's forgiveness for that there's repentance for that so maybe at work you're your team leader or maybe at work your team leader knowing that you're a christian regularly makes derogatory comments about christianity what's the natural response fight fire with fire you cut me down, I'm going to find something about you, about your clothing, about your family, about the way you live. I'm going to cut you down. But in that moment, we got to stop. Right? Think before you speak. James tells us that. Our brother tells us that. I have to tell myself that a lot because you guys know I can speak. <laughs> think before you speak. <laughs> On the basketball court, out in the city, think before you speak. So you have to think and go, i got to remember the example of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And how did Jesus respond to unjust suffering in his life? But how can we do this? How can we practically do this if things are going to get worse and worse and harder and harder? Day in and day out. How do we actually do this? Peter tells us, verse 23. Jesus continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. In other words, Jesus trusted himself to the Father, knowing that there would be a reckoning. Therefore, the only way for us to fight temptation of the retaliation when suffering is being mindful of God who we were told judges impartially according to each one's deeds. In other words, if God is going to right all wrongs, and I have to remind this a lot in in my life by someone in my family, if we trust that God is going to right all wrongs, then we can face unjust suffering without the need for retaliation because we have no need to take justice into our own hands when we can leave it in God's hands. Now, I'm not implying, once again, don't read into these statements too much, but when your spouse treats you poorly, and if we're honest, we all have moments that we treat our spouse poorly. We don't have to respond back poorly to them. All the spouses are like, amen, <laughs> wait a minute, which one's doing which? <laughs> when your boss overlooks you, there's a proper way, and honorable way that you can respond when you get overlooked. So on and so forth. You have a choice to respond the way the world does or the way that Jesus does. And Peter not only wrote these words to us to say, here's a good idea and good advice for you, because I know you're going to experience this in 2022. Peter himself was crucified. Okay, if we forgot. The author of this book was crucified, and he requested to be crucified upside down because he was not worthy to be crucified the way that Jesus was crucified. So Peter's not giving us some good advice here. Peter's saying, this was my reality, and here's how my life finished. I doubt any of us are going to finish our lives that way, but to put things in perspective. And then verse 24 and 25, finally, Jesus dealt with our sin and his suffering. The purpose of Jesus' death was to put an end to sin and to free his people to live righteously. So by his death on the cross, Jesus paid the penalty for the sins of his people, and now he offers forgiveness to turn away from their sin and trust themselves to him. It says by his wounds, we have been healed. And so the sad reality in the West, and so we bought into the good life, materialistic prosperity, daily comfort, cultural acceptance. It's probably a big one in our culture, right? I mean, who wants to be accepted, or right? We don't want to be accepted. But we bought into these things, which has completely diluted our view of Christian suffering. But what Peter has done for us this morning is to remind us that Jesus bore his cross for us Not so that we can escape this life and never have suffering, but so we would take up our cross and follow him. We need to realize that suffering is part of living faithfully as a follower of Jesus. I think sometimes we've done a disservice in the church, I'm speaking of the church broadly here, of kind of lowering the bar. And and almost skipping these portions of scripture that tell us this reality. But this is the word of God and we believe in the word of God and it's, it's truth and all powerful. And so we're doing a disservice to, to you, to the church, to the bride of Christ, if we skip over these parts. And when suffering comes, Peter points us to Jesus and says, suffer well. Don't compromise. Don't give in. If the attacks come, if the persecutors come, be reminded of who you worship and who's got you in his hands in those moments. So we're not seeking our comfort. Once again, he's addressing a a group who already knows they're sojourners. They're already living in this this strange land. He's saying, this will come, but here's how you are to respond as you endure, as you look at Jesus, his cross and his example that he left to us as his followers. Church, let me pray for you and we'll respond in worship this morning. God, if we confess and are honest, we don't like the idea of suffering. God, we seek a pain-free, easy, comfortable life. And the reality is, I don't think that in and of itself is a bad thing, but when we, to the, I get to the point that we're often surprised when we do experience suffering because of our faith. We're surprised when maybe we're not included in a certain group because of our beliefs in you. We're excluded from certain positions or places because of our belief in you. We're told that we're hateful and that we're bigoted and all these other things because of our belief in you. So God, I do pray that this morning for us, that when we experience just suffering, that we would just own it and realize that was our own stupidity. God, that we wouldn't blame something else or someone else. But God, when we do experience unjust suffering, and if we're not experiencing it now, that we would know that one day we will. That we do so in a way that's faithful as we look to your example as we're reminded of the example that you gave us as your journey led you to the cross, a place that you never deserved to go. You were mocked, you were beaten, you were scorned, you were spit on. You gave the ultimate sacrifice in your life, shedding your blood so that we didn't have to. And that you made a way that we could be reconciled to you. And God, may we be reminded that our suffering, any form that we have, will be very short-lived and temporary in this life. That it's here one day and gone the next. But this is what we're called to do. God, give us the strength, give us the power to endure unjust suffering in a faithful manner. And glorifies you, points others to you through our journey on this life. In your name we pray. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. You can connect with us and find more available teachings and resources at our website, sojournpdx.org.